The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the web. Welcome to Privacy Piracy. I'm Lloyd. I'm the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank. Mari's a local attorney and certified information privacy professional. She's the author of several books, including Safeguard Your Identity, From Victim to Victor, and The Complete Idiot's Guide to Recovering from Identity Theft. She's testified many times in Congress and the California Legislature on privacy and identity theft issues. And you may have seen her on Dateline, 48 Hours, CNN, NBC, ABC, O'Reilly Factor, and many other shows, including her own 90-minute PBS television special, Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. To learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit KUCI.org slash Privacy Piracy. Hey, Mari, what's our show about today? Well, Lloyd, today our show is about medical errors and how to protect yourself as a patient. And there are so many privacy issues that arise with the whole medical scene. We've heard so much about what's going on in medicine, and we're always worried about our friends, our family, and ourselves if we get sick and end up in a hospital. And and we all will hear about horror stories. And we're going to hear today from a wonderful author and journalist who's going to tell us about her story, and we're going to talk about her book. So let me tell you um, how I found her. She There was an article in Radio TV Interview Magazine, and it said, Medical errors kill 195,000 people a year. How to avoid falling victim to a deadly mistake. So I have this wonderful book that I that I got to read, and it's by Martine Aaronclou, and she uh, is a journalist and an MA. And the name of this book is The Take Charge Patient, How You Can Get the Best Medical Care. And this is insider information from 200 interviews with health professionals and patients. This is really a great book. I am so glad that I have this. And I'm looking at all the the wonderful things in it we're going to talk about. But let me first tell you about our great author. Martine Aaronclou is an award-winning author, patient advocate, and speaker. Her first book, Critical Conditions, The Essential Hospital Guide to Get Your Loved One Out Alive received 15 book awards. And I have her newest book, and that's called The Take Charge Patient, How You Can Get the Best Medical Care. And this is the one that I have sitting here right with me. And that's also a winner of two book awards. And this really empowers us as patients and readers to become proactive and effective participants in our own health care, which is so important. Martine's mission is to bring to light the importance of being an advocate for oneself and others. So often we know when someone goes in the hospital, you just all of a sudden become a victim of the doctors, the nurses, everyone. You don't know what's going on. You're sick. You don't feel well. And it's really a, a very difficult situation. Through her books and her media interviews, articles, blogging, and lecture, lectures, Martine reveals insider information on how to interact 
effectively with medical professionals and navigate this crazy healthcare system and health insurance. Uh, she regularly publishes articles on the topic of patient empowerment, patient advocacy, patient safety, successful communication in the medical encounters with the various professionals and collaborative relationships with patients and medical professionals. And she's been interviewed on national TV, radio, newspapers, and magazines, including NBC News, ABC News, KCAL News, Women's Day, Family Circle, Los Angeles Times Magazine, and many more. So I'm really thrilled that she's with us, but I want to give her website before we start, and that is the Take Charge Patient Dot com. That's one of them. And the other is criticalconditions.com. Martine, thanks so much for joining us from Los Angeles. We really appreciate it. Well, thank you so much, Mari. It's really a pleasure to be talking with you. Well, you know, I have experienced my own hospital stays. Um, my mother died in a hospital. My sister died in a hospital. And oh, I've sorry. just said, yes. I mean, so I really, as soon as I got your book, I went, oh, my goodness, this is really something that everybody should read. So let's talk, I, I think what's fascinating, and you and I talked about this before we even started the show, some, you know, the people who can write best are the people who really experience this. So, you know, I had read that six months into your own research for this book, you developed some debilitating chronic pain. So why don't you tell us a little bit about that? I, I know it's a privacy issue, but I think it's, it's so important that people know that you know what you're talking about. Aside from being a great journalist, you really have lived this. It's true. I really did. I mean, it's such a an ironic and kind of bizarre story. Um, as you said, six months into writing the book, and I had finished the over 200 interviews, and I had a basic outline for the book, and I developed a severe chronic pain condition. And I ended up seeing 11 physicians of differing specialties and three alternative medicine practitioners. And I went through 15 procedures and tests. I was prescribed 22 medications, and Oof. I received 10 misdiagnoses. Mm. And in the end, I found my own diagnosis um, via a New York Times article, and luckily for me, the surgeon and hernia specialist who had cured the woman depicted in the article was at a teaching hospital in Los Angeles. Oh. So I, I know, I just felt so grateful. And I went to see her, brought the article, and described what was going on with me and what had been going on for so many months. And she did a, a thorough exam and did a high-resolution dynamic MRI and then three-hour surgery. And she found out that I did, in fact, have hernias with nerves protruding through the holes Oof. and a muscle tear in my C-section site, oh which was nerve inv involvement also. But the good news is um, I've been pain-free for over a year and a half, so I'm just incredibly grateful Oh, thank God. Yeah. And and then you actually used your own procedures that you learned, right? Yes, I did. <laughs> I ended up living every single chapter of the book, <laughs> with the exception of the telemedicine chapter. I mean, every single one. I, I, I don't really know how to account for the irony of the situation, but I did. I used my own strategies. I tested, I tested all of them out. And about six months into the chronic pain, I really ended up changing how I behaved as a patient with the physicians and found that 
the strategies actually worked, and I was able to form, you know, collaborative relationships with some of the physicians and use some of the communication strategies and create my own patient's toolkit so I was regarded with more credibility as a patient. Yes, and, and I think that's so important. If you were to explain how you were before you used your own strategies with doctors versus after you had done all the interviews and you learned, how is it really that you changed? Were you more assertive? Were you more confident? Were you more questioning? Kind of explain how you did change. Well, I can't say that I was ever really a passive patient because that's not really my nature. But right. I was much more passive and more accustomed to the tra- the traditional or paternalistic, you know, doctor-patient relationship. If they gave me a diagnosis, I accepted it. Treatment plan, I accepted it and abided by, abided by it as best I could. But as I went through, uh, you know, seeing several physicians, and one physician would give me a diagnosis. The first physician I saw, this was a tough one for me because I had been seeing this physician for so many years. I liked her. I respected her. And... She gave me a diagnosis that I it just didn't feel right. So I started doing research on credible websites, and I found out that I did not have three of the five major symptoms for that diagnosis. And I still had the pain, even given the treatment plan she had given me. Mm. So I went to go see another specialist. He, and it, when you went back, did you go back to her and say, you know, I've looked this up on the web, and I found that three of the... You know, the symptoms that I have do not relate to this issue? Or I did go back to her, but I didn't want to challenge her in a way that I didn't have three of the five symptoms because she had given me all this literature on the diagnosis and felt pretty confident. I did discuss with her that I still had pain and I wasn't, you know, completely sure that I actually had that diagnosis. And she right. says, well, you should go see another specialist then. Oh, well, that was good. So she yeah. was, yeah. yeah she, she was, she told you know, you... very open to that and, right. you know, was wanted the best for me as her patient. Right. The next specialist that I saw disregarded her and refuted her diagnosis. And he came up with another diagnosis and put me through antibiotics and a treatment plan mm. and nothing worked. Mm. I got a second opinion. Um, and that physician said, no, <laughs> you don't have the second diagnosis or the first diagnosis. And here's what I think you should do. Oh my goodness. So I went back to my internist with all copies of all my medical records and said, what do you think? Well, he came up with his own diagnosis, and I. And, but he said, I really am not sure. He said, you know, I, so things aren't quite adding up, and I had seen him for many years, and I had a really good relationship with him and a collaborative relationship with him, and he said, I, I think you need to see somebody else. So, you know, I started doing my own research on which doctor to see, which tests would, you know, I had enlisted a good friend of mine um, who is very medically savvy as my advocate because about eight months into this process, I just was starting to lose steam. I was getting tired and losing hope. And plus, you weren't feeling well. You were in a lot of pain. And I think I want to really stress this point that you as a patient or I as a patient when we're really in that much pain, we're not always thinking straight anyway because we're in so much pain and we're in fear and all these different things. So it's really important to have a friend or a family member help you through this and kind of bounce things off and and really help you if you're in such pain or if you're unable to do this yourself. 
That's exactly right. And not just that many, I mean, that is very accurate. I think if you're not feeling well, have pain, it's very difficult to, you know, distill information from physicians or do your own research and, you know, find the motivation to keep going. And enlisting a loved one to be your advocate is so helpful. Um, I think also that patients get nervous when they go in to see doctors. You know, it's an unfamiliar environment. The office is not exactly designed for patients. It's designed for the medical providers there. And we get nervous and we get tongue-tied and maybe the doctor's in a rush and maybe they only have 7 to 15 minutes to see us and maybe we, maybe we forget. So it's important. It's important, yeah, I, you know, to have somebody to take notes so that you can listen exactly. and ask questions and somebody else is sitting there taking notes because most doctors are not going to really let you do a recording, especially for someone like me who's a lawyer. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, I've gone, when I've had to go for, for different things, I broke my nose and the first doctor totally screwed it up so I couldn't breathe. Oh, dear. I fell. I fell and I uh, had a bad break in my nose and my whole nose went off to the side and oh, I couldn't breathe. And the first doctor who I went to, um, you know, messed up my surgery so bad that I actually had to have it done again. So I took my daughter who was, you know, working for me at the time and I said, you take copious notes because she had learned to do it. So I went and I asked all these questions because I knew that I would never be able to have a a recorded interview with me being a lawyer, but my daughter took great notes and that really helped me because then I could concentrate on the questions rather than writing notes, you know? That's so great that you did that and had the wherewithal to do it because you were probably in pain as yes, well. Yes, yes. Yeah. So, okay, so so I think it's wonderful that you were able to do that. So let's, let's talk about then um, what... What do you mean that your health care is, and you talk about it being a team sport? I mean that patients are partners with their medical providers. I mean that patients need to meet their medical providers halfway, given what's happening in health care, and that if a physician or a medical provider takes health insurance, they are trying to squeeze in as many patients as they can in a day, and they don't have a whole lot of time with you, and all of them are multitasking. So it's really important for a patient, not for the doctor, but for the patient to come prepared to a, a medical provider appointment, to come prepared with copies of pertinent medical records, to come prepared with a list of questions and your top three medical concerns. It's important for patients to be invested in their own health care and to be aware of symptoms and to keep track of those symptoms before they meet with a medical provider, as opposed to a, a patient going to the doctor's office and, you know, not knowing what medications they're on and maybe not remembering what the symptoms were, what that made them worse or better, or when, you know, they were at their peak. It's important to take some responsibility as a patient, you know, not overtaking the physician or medical provider's job. It's really about meeting them halfway and doing your job as a patient. Yeah, it's it's also like when clients come to me and they want legal information, the better, the, the more that they have the facts, they have the, like a chronological history, that's really helpful for me. I can't be as helpful to them. And doctors, for sure, they have to have a lot of facts about what's been going on, like you said, the symptoms, what they feel, because then the more that you give them, the more it helps them. And we are speaking today with Martine 
Aaron Clue, who is the author of the Take Charge Patient, how you can get the best medical care. You know, I, I'll tell you an, another thing that happened that I think it's important for people to kind of hear this thing that this can happen to anybody. My husband had severe pain in his lower belly and like in his, he thought it was in his colon, you know, just severe pain. Oh my God, he couldn't do anything. And he went to a gastroenterologist and they did upper GI and lower GI and a colonoscopy. And he was in such pain and, you know, it was horrible. And then um, we look, I looked up, I said, let's look it up on the internet. So we went to, you know, I forgot which one it was. I think it was, um, what is one of the best ones? I forgot, but we went to the really best medical, like the university teaching hospitals. Mm-hmm. Good, good. And we looked up and I said, you know what? It sounds to me like a fissure, that you have a fissure. And I hadn't really ever really known about that. And um, so finally we went to a different doctor and I said, you know, if it's a fissure, you need to go to a proctologist. Mm-hmm. And um, so I said, forget this guy. He was really arrogant. He said, no, it's not that. I would have known. Well, we go to proctologist, and that would, that is what it was. He had surgery, and he was, wow. within a few weeks, he was just fine. Your husband is lucky to have you. <laughs> oh, God. Well, you know, I mean, he was so angry at that doctor, you know, because to put somebody through a colonoscopy when you have a fissure is got to be like the worst thing you can do to anybody. Yeah. And so, you know, he was like a a fissure is like a tear, right? you know? And uh, so if you can imagine doing that to somebody when they've got a tear, it was horrible. It was absolutely horrible. So I think your idea of, you know, Go before you go to the doctor, go to some of these really good teaching hospital websites and look up symptoms. They have incredible things. What what were a couple of the websites that you used? I used up to date. I used Mayo Clinic. Mayo Clinic is the one we went to, yeah. I used uh UCLA um one of their research websites. I Oh, my goodness, I use so many. Yes. Um, Sloan Kettering. I mean, there are so many uni- good medical school websites, and also some of the government websites are very good also, and also Medical Academy and Disease Organization websites are, you know, filled with credible, good information. Right. And I think, like you were saying before, because doctors only see you for a few minutes and they're in such a hurry, and, you know, the medical insurance carriers really don't allow them to do a lot of things, which in my mind is is nuts. And I was married to a doctor for 18 years, so I kind of get this. Um, But I think it's so important that, that you do question and that you do run off this stuff and read it and ask the doctors about what you read, you know, without being really arrogant or nasty, just say, you know, I read about this. Um, what do you think about this? And right, just, you exactly. Know, and, and, and it's really important to get a second opinion. I mean, just as you and your husband did, you got an, uh, another opinion from another physician, and look what happened. Yes, yes. I think sometimes patients are afraid to offend the physician, you know, is giving them a diagnosis by going to get a second opinion. But I don't think that any doctor will be offended. And you don't necessarily have to tell them. I mean, you don't have to go back and say, I'm going to get a second opinion. You just go. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So 
What about medical errors and medication errors? I think that is really scary. I'll never forget when my dad was in the hospital, he was a diabetic and he was in the hospital and I walked into the hospital room with my sister and there was a big sign behind him and it said diabetic, you know, Mm -hmm. and somebody had brought him a chocolate cake and, you know, he was ill and he was like, he didn't know. And I just thought I was going to jump out of my skin. I don't blame you. Yeah. And the same thing are... happened to my godmother She, when she was in the hospital for seven months. And she was also a diabetic. And they weren't giving her diabetic meals. She went into diabetic shock. I mean, yeah. come on. <laughs> yeah. When, you know, you could really die in a hospital. You go in for one thing and you could end up dying. So, Well, yeah. so many people do. That's the scary thing. Yes. Yes. And I think you have to, and one of the things that you said that's so important, Martine, you talked about in your gut or you intuitively didn't feel what what the diagnosis was, was what you were told. You just right. knew it wasn't right. We have to learn to pay attention to that intuition. I whenever, think you're right. Whenever I don't pay attention to the intu- my intuition, I'm always wrong. Always wrong. I'm with you. <laughs> and and so if something doesn't feel right, but they're, you know, they're just telling you, what do you know? You didn't go to medical school or whatever. You know, you need to just stop and say, it doesn't feel right to me. Right. I recently took my dog off of chemotherapy. Um, luckily, I have a really good doctor, but I said, you know what? I don't feel good about this. I have to take him off. And he bounced back, you know. Wow, so, uh, that's yeah, amazing. Yeah, I just felt that it was it was making him really sick, and I said, quality of life is, you know, he's 11 years old, and I said, and, you know, then I gave him all these supplements and all this Reiki and all this good stuff, and right now he's, he, you know, he runs around like he thinks he's five years old or four and steals socks and shoes. And, oh, that's wonderful. Yeah, and I think that's the key is trust your intuition, and if it doesn't feel right, don't take the medicine. Right. And we don't realize how powerful medications are. And medications, medication errors harm 1.5 million people every wow. year. Right. And it is the most common medical error, and it is the easiest to prevent. I mean, so many people will just accept a prescription from a physician and go get it filled at the pharmacy and not think. I I, and it's not because people don't want to. I just think they're, they trust and, you know, this is the way it's always been and, you know, the doctor and the pharmacist know what they're doing, and they do. I interviewed a pharmacist who told me about a medication that was filled for a patient, and the husband came to pick up the medication for his wife. He brought it home. It was in the bag, and the wife took two doses of that medication, and the pharmacist the next morning got a call from a very upset patient because that medication was intended for another patient. Oh. It had another patient's name on that pill bottle. Oh, God. So it's human error, but we all have to be involved. I mean, know your medication. Look at the pill bottle. Is mm. it intended for you? Is that the dosage that the doctor prescribed for you? Right. Simply write it down when you speak to the doctor. I mean, it's very simple. And put your glasses on. I'm sorry? (laughs) I said, and put your glasses on. Right, exactly. (laughs) So that you can see how many to take, you know. Make sure you're taking the right one. Right. You know, I think that's what's really hard for the elderly. You know, I remember with my parents, we used to put it in the little boxes and then they would have to take it. People forget. Even me. And, you know, I'm not, I don't have any dementia. Well, maybe I do, but... (laughs) 
<laughs> maybe but, we all do. <laughs> maybe we all do, but you know, you really have to write these things down. So it's it, it you know, it's so important nowadays. And I think the when you were talking about the medication, the physician's desk reference is PDR. I can't remember what the website, but you can look up PDR and look at all these it's on the web. Right, and pictures of the medication also. Yes. But the the trap that patients can get into with that is there is pictures of the brand medication. Right. So you don't know what shape or color of the pill if you're getting a generic form of that medication. So it's important to, you know, if you get it from a mail-order pharmacy, it's important to call or bring the medication down to your local pharmacist and ask questions. Yes, Yes. It, it, you know, I mean, it's it's so overwhelming for people who might be listening to this because if they're sick, they want to be able to trust their doctor. Yeah, sure. And they don't want to have to do this. But nowadays, I mean, whether you've got a phone or you've got, a, a you know, an iPad or you've got a computer or go to the library, you really need to take that time to to go and do this because you are in charge of your own what is the patient toolkit? The patient's toolkit is part of being a responsible and take charge patient. It includes copies of pertinent medical records, and it includes a current list of your medications and their dosages, um, over-the-counter medications, herbs and supplements, allergies to medications. It includes a medical ID card, which is really important to have, um, you can, you know, they have all sorts of apps for medical information, your list of medications and, you know, emergency contacts, and that's great. But if your phone dies or, let's say, an EMT who comes to pick you up in an ambulance doesn't know how to work your particular app, right. it's really nice to have a hard copy in your wallet next to your driver's license. And that includes your full name, your physician's name and phone number, emergency contact, your current list of medications, dosages, allergies to medications, and any current medical conditions or illnesses that you have. That way, whoever is on the receiving end will have a general picture of what your medical status is. Um, Also included in the patient's toolkit is um, uh, medical history. So any major medical events that you've had throughout your lifetime, such as major surgeries or serious illness or chronic medical condition, you need to have a list. And that includes family history also, just a sentence or two about if any, you know, your parents or siblings have had major medical conditions or diseases. And when you go to the doctor, having your top three medical concerns. I've heard from so many physicians that patients will come in and, you know, we all get a little overwhelmed and nervous by being in the doctor's office, and they don't have their top three medical concerns. And, you know, as the doctor is about to leave the office, getting ready to see the next patient, the patient all of a sudden remembers, oh, my goodness, I've had this chest pain or pain going down my arm. And, the you know, the physician is in a position where they have to address that problem. But if you have it written down or typed into your, you know, your smartphone or in an iPad or however it's convenient for you, you have it all there for you. And that way you can maximize the time with the physician. Yes. Just a little preparation will give you so much power in the, and, yeah. and the power to protect yourself and be your own advocate, which is what you say you need to be. Absolutely. And, and if I love, you can't yeah. do it yourself, 
you must enlist a loved one to assist you. Or if it's a, you know, you happen to be in the hospital, maybe not one loved one can be there all the time. Maybe there's three loved ones, a good friend, a couple of family members, and you all, and they all share shifts and help and oversee and monitor the medical care. Yes, and and that is so critical. Um, I. I remember when my sister was in the hospital, that's exactly what we did. We all had shifts. Right. And so she was never, I mean, even in the middle of the night, she was never left alone. Smart. And uh, it's not always easy. It's very hard on people, but it's really an important thing. I just want to leave it with this. Uh, Larry Dossie, MD, who is one of my best, uh, one of my favorite authors, mm -hmm. uh, wrote about your book, Take the Guesswork Out of Your Experience by Letting Martine um, Aaron Clue Be Your Guide. You will not find a better ally. So that's great. So just, oh, thank you. Yeah, that was really wonderful. So we're going to tell people to take a look at the Take Charge Patient. Just give your website and it's time to go. The TakeChargePatient.com. Okay. Well, thank you, Martine, for all the great work that you did. And we look forward to your next book and giving us a call to let us know what it is. Well, thank you so much, Mari. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm Mari Frank. Join us every Monday morning at 8 a.m. right here on KUCI and visit our website at KUCI.org slash privacy piracy. Download podcasts and write us about what's important to you about information and privacy in this information age. Thanks. Stay private. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.